Welcome to another episode of The Conversation here on The Dakotan. This is part of The Dakotan's election uh, central coverage of the 2020-2024 North Dakota election cycle. I'm Jonathan Starr, and today I am joined by Trigvi Hammer. Thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Before we jump into the world of politics and everything that's going to be crazy about that, let's just introduce you. Talk about you for a minute. Who are you? How did you get your roots in North Dakota? Obviously, you're from Velva. You were raised there. Um, just talk about that for a minute. Well, you know, uh, I've said that if I'm successful in this campaign, the one thing that will happen is that everybody in North Dakota will see the name Trigvi in print and, and be able to pronounce it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I got that name. I was born here and uh, mined at Trinity Hospital. Right. I was uh, scrawny. My dad said I looked like a freshly hatched baby robin. Oh, my grandmothers were saying, baptize him before he dies, baptize him before wow. he dies. And my grandfather on my mom's side said, ah, take him home, name him Trigvi, he'll be fine. <laughs> so, so that's what they did. And I grew up in Velva. I mean, I, I just have so many fond memories of that town and feel so connected to it. And it was a great place to go to school. Um, and when I finished school, I just didn't quite know what I wanted to do. And I joined right. the Navy and ended up a uh, nuclear power Navy. Went from there to the Naval Academy. Uh, decided to go Marine Corps. Uh, like I've said many times, it's based on that uh, ethos of officers eat last, which right. really rang true with me. And I really like the physicality of the Marine Corps. I mean, I can't believe you go somewhere and you get paid to run obstacle courses and stuff. Yeah. That was that was great. You know? Right. Um, did a couple tours as a helicopter pilot uh, and as a forward air controller. Um, I got out 2001, the summer of 2001. You know, we weren't flying much out in Hawaii then. That right. was a hardship tour, flying okay. helicopters yeah. in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, very um, you know, we weren't flying much at the time and really never did. It felt like we were never going to do the mission. It was always just going to be training and minimum right. hours every month. So I got into the airlines. Okay. Um, and I was, I did that for a while. I, I, I left to go live in Rome. Wow. And then I, I left to go to Iraq. And it just got to be... Too much back and forth, so I, yeah. I kind of canned that career. I worked at a defense contractor for a while okay. and, and did some other security work and then uh, got divorced, came back here in 2016 and uh, taught science out in Granville for three years, which is sort of like being in combat in Iraq sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. But I enjoyed it. It's you, you get the second paycheck both as a Marine and as a teacher. As a Marine, you get the second paycheck is you're a Marine. Right. As a teacher, it's when you're walking around out in town and you hear that kid get all excited, say, Absolutely. Mr. Hammer, you know, like right. really excited to see you. And it just really, and when you see them doing well too, when, yeah. you, when you meet them and they're doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if I read correctly, you were in the reserves when 9-11 happened, correct? Yep. So your name and your name then end up being ended up getting called where you had to go to Iraq. Right. I, and I had already associated myself with a unit in Memphis with a, with an okay. infantry unit. Um, I knew we'd be going somewhere sometime and, right. and uh, you know, that was the closest to where, you know, my, my ex was active duty Navy too. So okay. I was, I was a military spouse at the time yep. as well as being a reservist. So, uh, wow. so we were there in Memphis and that's, that's the unit I went with to Iraq and it was great. It was yeah. fantastic. After all that, traveling seeing the world uh from a unique perspective what brought you back to north dakota you know i you know i got divorced and once again i was sort of like out of high school what am i going to do and you know yeah. you just go to ground you go to right. the place you know the place where you have family the this north dakota will always feel like home to me i was never one of those kids is like i gotta get out of north dakota <laughs> right, yeah. but then i ended up being one of those kids who got out of north dakota yeah right it's interesting a lot of the people that 
we've I've talked to, um, they have a story that brought them out of North Dakota, and then there came a point in their life where like we've got to get back to North Dakota, and whether it's the pace of life, the the integrity of the people here, whatever it is, it seems like there's some something that draws people out back and gets them connected. Yeah, and and that it's that connection you feel connected to the people, and there's a connection with the land, and I can't even explain it. You know, I'm yeah. a I'm an upland game hunter. I like okay. to go out and hunt birds, and and I just I just always love the fall, especially around here, and just the smell and the right. I just just love it. Yeah, absolutely. It's great great time to golf too. Yeah, um, I don't do that. You don't do that. Oh man. Well, I can do that very badly. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But I try. What was the thing that prompted you to get into politics? You know, I sort of fell into politics the same way I fell into the Navy. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. I chose more when I went Marine Corps. Um, I came back here and I went to a uh, a Democratic district meeting and I I walked out of that meeting as the chairman. Oh, man. So then in uh, 2020, I was the chairman. We had two candidates and we needed three. So, yeah. you know, I jumped on that grenade. I was, right. I was the third candidate. Yeah. Uh, then 2022, I was not, you know, my district didn't have a race. Okay. I was not planning on running for anything, but I got a call about a month, maybe even less before the convention asking me to run for PSC and I agreed right. to do it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was that and then got into it and, uh, and like I said, Katrina Christensen and I both said we would come back and be on the right. ticket the next time, and uh, here we are. Yeah, and it seemed like for that the PSA or the Public Service Commission, it was a pretty successful race for not having a high name ID. I would assume at the time, just getting back and or you'd been in the, settled in the state, but um, it was a pretty successful race. Did you feel that way? It seemed like from what I've seen, there was a lot of great feedback that you'd received from yeah. that. Well, you know, I got more votes than any other Democrat in the state that cycle. I raised hardly any money. Yeah. And, uh, and the thing that happened after that is I'd be going around the state working and I would run into people and they're, they're like, Oh, you were on the ballot. Wow. And then, and they're like, well, I would have voted for you, but yeah. they hadn't heard my story. They had right. voted. They'd actually had to have seen my name on the ballot, but they had no idea. Yeah. So, so that's why, you know, I'll be going home and making those phone calls. Cause we have to have the money to advertise and get, get my story yeah. out there and, and, yeah. uh, you know, get known Absolutely. and, and, and opportunities like this are great, but it's just the, uh, you know, well, the earned media doesn't get out as much as the, as the paid media you need to advertise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agree with you there. Um, you mentioned that the leadership role in your district kind of fell into your lap. And I know that you, you've already mentioned on here, but if you do much research on Trigger, you know that he's going to mention officers eat last. That's an ethos that you yeah. live by. How, how have you seen that um, implemented in your leadership style as you've worked with people? <clears throat> well, as I've, as I've worked, I've always just, you know, I've always kind of felt like I'm the last, like, yep. like, Everybody right. else is going to going to be served, and and if yep. I'm a leader, I'm actually serving the people under me. I should Absolutely. I should be the most replaceable person. Right. Um, a lot of people get into politics and they get the attention. They get elected somewhere. They feel like they have a mandate and that they're in that position because they're somehow special. Right. Um, but that's not really it. You have to honor the institution and 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 revere it. But you have to know that, you know, you are just, you're an employee of the people who voted for you. It seems like that in uh, Washington right now, there's a little bit of entitlement, um, perhaps. And that's a general statement. So that's grouping people that don't feel that way. But but there, it feels like there's definitely some uh, 
tug tug between the people right now saying, hey, we we feel like we're not being heard and things like that. Um, so it's definitely nice to hear that, that there's actually a leader that's interested in realizing I, I'm not going there for my interests. I'm going there for the interests of the people and, and being able to run on that. Yeah. Well, it actually looks bad for the Congress that so many people have gone there and they sometimes weren't wealthy when they got there. But now they're still in the Congress and they're very wealthy. Right. Yeah. You know, how did that happen? And when you start to look at the ethical side of it is, you know, the stock trades and stuff they can make, you know, it just doesn't look good and it erodes public trust. Yeah, that's a great point. So talking about North Dakota politics for a moment, last Democrat in either a governor, so statewide position or a uh, federal legislative position. So either our state representative or one of our two senators. Um, was 2018 uh, Heidi Heitkamp, and she lost that 2018 race to, I believe it was Kevin Kramer. And for some people in their voting history, all they've ever seen are Republicans in the state, right? Um, though 2018 is not that old. And if you go and you look before 2018, Heidi Heitkamp was the end of a lot of blue that was, uh, I believe it was Kent Conrad, that was before her, that was all the way back to 92 mm-hmm. that he had been in, in position. Um, so it was really a turn uh, that this, the state took as a whole um, from the roots of being in the Democratic blue. Why do you feel that happened? Is, was it a change of philosophy in the state? Or is it something deeper than that? I, I think it's a couple of things, and I've, I've mentioned it before. Um, well, one thing, you know, Byron Dorgan, Kent Conrad, Heidi Heitkamp, they're all, they're, they're kind of, they're good at what they do. Yeah. You know, they are, uh, Heidi is really good at retail politics. As bad as Ron DeSantis is, is yeah. at it, right. you know, she is good yeah. at it. And uh, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is you started to get the media messaging and, you know, you had a lot of right wing radio out there and yeah. we never had an answer for it. We never, we didn't, right. we didn't bring up anything on the other side. So yeah. that was a lot of what they hear. And, and when I talk to Democrats from other parts of the country, they don't understand how big radio is out here. You know, you're out in okay. the tractor and the combine, you can listen to the right. radio and, yep. and they listen to this every day. And, and we thought it was silly. A lot of it was, but we never countered it. Mm-hmm. And I think that has been a big problem. And then the other thing is, so we lost those talented people. They're, they're right. out of politics now, and we just, we just did not give people a, a palatable option or, or work hard enough. Yeah, that, that's basically what I think it is, is when it comes right down to it, uh, we didn't work hard enough. Yeah. We, we had to get out there and, and do the work. And that's my whole campaign. I'm like, hey, we are... We're the steel toe boots, hard hat, lunch pail kind of campaign. We're going to work every day, make those calls, knock those doors, get out and talk to people. Absolutely. So what you mentioned, hard work is going to be a key thing to get it back onto that track that it was on. Um, What are some other things? You've mentioned people uh, getting more name ID, running in in sequential elections and stuff like that. What are some of the other key things that you think to get it back onto that track? Okay, well, a really key thing... And if Republicans, you know, Republicans aren't worried about the hammer for Congress campaign, but they should be worried about the hammer uh, influence here in Minot with Sears River Dems and, and how hard we've been working. We used to have meetings where there were, it was regular to have just four or five people there. And now we're, we're getting, you know, over 20 to our wow. regular meetings. That's awesome. So, and we've been reaching out, we've been sending mailers, 
um, you know, making phone calls. And we're doing the same kind of hard work you got to do in the campaign, and we're organizing at the local level. And, and That's important. You know, and the funny thing is, is you call someone, and they're like, oh, you're a Democrat? And it's like this, oh, kumbaya moment. Yeah, and right. they're, they're so happy to hear from you because they've been, they've been hiding, and I really hate that. You know? Right, yep. That is hard. Let's go to the other side of the tracks. Yeah, I'm trying to get as many train jokes in here. I don't know if you're catching <laughs> them, but let's go to the other side of the tracks for a moment. For a moment. The Republican Party has undergone a ton of transition this year. Uh, end of middle to end of last year, there, well, for the last couple of years, there's been substantial in-party fights that it seems like perhaps maybe it's a little bit more than normal. Um, and then uh, middle to end of last year, there was a decent change that happened when their chair was replaced. Perry Schaefer uh, was no longer the chair. He was replaced by Sandy Sanford. First off, do you feel like this almost in-party fighting that is happening um, in the Republican Party, do you, th do you feel like that's just natural politics, or is this something that Republicans should be concerned about? Uh, you know, I'm not... I'm not really sure. Um, I can tell you that, you know, when I got into this race and I was doing interviews out those first couple of days and, and you know, they talked about Armstrong, I'm like, yeah. hey, we don't even know that we're going to be facing Armstrong. Right. Right. And there was always this idea that if Burgum decided not to run for governor, uh, Armstrong was the heir apparent. Yeah. And I have talked to a lot of Republicans here in Minot who don't like that, you know. Wow. Um, I think... Uh, and now we see everybody getting out of Armstrong's way, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so, so he'll be the he'll be oh, the goes. candidate. I, right. I, I haven't seen like a I like all one. the people who were talking about well, Campbell and and yep. Fedorchek were both looking at governor, and then right. Armstrong said, "I'm going to do it," and they're just okay. We're, right. we're out of that race. Yep. Um, I think the district conventions for the Republicans and the Republican state convention are going to be more colorful than the democratic conventions yeah, uh, right. by a long shot. There's going to be a lot more angst going on. And I just, I have no idea how it's all going to wash yeah. out. And I don't think that's as damaging to the Republican party right now as some of the bad behavior from state legislators. Okay. Um, you know, that, that thing with the um, attorney general, Wayne Stenjum's emails all getting yep. deleted, that, that doesn't happen in a good ethical environment. Right. You know, if you have a good ethical environment, the IT person says, wait a minute, yeah. you know, but when you, when you don't, then it doesn't even occur to them. And it's not the IT person's fault. You right. know, he was asked to do it and, and did what he thought yep. was his job or her job. I don't even know right. who did that, but uh, there's that. Uh, then there's the, um, the, uh, oh, I can't remember his name now, the Nico Rios thing out there. And the problem with that wasn't so much the drunk driving even, which right. is, which is bad, but it was the, the arrogance yeah. and the, you know, Oh, I need to call Drew Wrigley. I bet you Drew Wrigley hated that, yeah. you know, right. That's um, what you want. And, and they're trying to give the business card and all that. Right. And then of course there was the anti-immigrant stuff and the, yeah. apparently there was also some homophobic stuff and, wow. and you know, that, that hurts them as well. And, yeah. and then when, the, when one of your state legislator tweets that the, the Ohio state legislature should ignore the past initiated measure, ignore the will of the people. Well, that, that tells you how that legislator feels about the will of the people in general. Right. So I think I think some of those things are That's bigger problems for the Republicans than their own interscene fighting right now. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely need to be running with a little more uh, <laughs> eth ethics there. Um, so you mentioned a little bit with Kelly Armstrong running for governor. A lot of transitioning happening 
Um, he's running for governor. You had uh, Campbell, who originally was going to run for governor, switched once he found out about that, it appeared. Um, and then Rick Becker is the other um, candidate at this point, although his will be an interesting story um, based off him previously running as an independent. So it'll be right. interesting to see how that plays out, um, which would be, on, honestly, as I was preparing for this, I was like, the, I don't know what... Th- plan you've put obviously i've heard from other interviews right now we're just focused on getting the the true nomination from from the democrats and and that's understood but if if you get that if that's secured would it be a beautiful world if there was perhaps an independent a republican and a democrat in that race um well i mean yeah that would that would help but uh the way it's going right now becker He's going to be on the uh, the primary ballot. So right. if he loses there, he then he's not allowed to run as an independent. If I understand state law okay. correctly, um, so it, the the fight is going to be in the primary. Um, Campbell, I believe, ran against Armstrong once before, and he, he, he and he petitioned. Yeah, and he petitioned and got on the ballot. So I have a feeling. There's going to be one person uh, nominated at the convention that might be Fedorchek, and maybe the other two get on the primary ballot uh, via signatures. Yeah. Um, so that's that's how I think it's going to play out, and I have I have no idea. Yeah. Well, how, how do you feel? Because I don't feel like there's a shoe in for the for that position on the Republican side. There's you know Armstrong like that's going to be a strong candidate. It'd be difficult for a Democrat to get. Uh, the position, the governor position, away from from Armstrong. I feel, yeah. but for the, I don't feel that way for the House. I don't feel like there's a strong candidate. What is your perspective on that? Um, yeah, I think we're on a pretty level playing field. Yeah. Um, like I said, they all come in with probably more personal money yeah. than I do, and they have the they're connected to the machine. Right. You know, the the Bergam machine, the Armstrong machine. They they've got the uh, the packs that are out there ready right. to give to them. So you know what. I need to, I need to budget, and yeah. I need to uh, just keep working hard to to bring in that money myself and get out and meet people. One last question on this, and then we'll, we'll get to issues because this is uh, maybe not the funnest stuff to talk about. But do you think North Dakota is at a point where there is a majority, maybe not a majority, but a substantial number of North Dakotans that just simply vote party line right now? Yeah, I, I, well, I think there is a good number of that, but I also run into constantly people who talk about the Democrats and the Republicans. They, they don't identify with either one. A lot of those people either don't vote or they right. just reflexively vote Republican because those are the names they've heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're going to need to really turn out voters. Probably we need to turn out voters who haven't voted before. And, uh, you know, I have Republican friends who've told me they're going to vote for me. So uh, I need to make more Republican friends and uh, yeah. also get them to vote for me. Right. Absolutely. So let, let's jump into the issues. Why why you would get uh, Democrats and Republicans to vote for you? What are the key issues that you are campaigning on? Well, number one, we need to restore democracy and we need to restore everyone's faith in the entire system. Right. Um, there are some things, you know, it's funny if you look at gerrymandering, after 2010, the Republicans had a huge advantage. 2020, the Democrats did a better job. So now it's pretty much even and not much of a factor, but that's because both sides have a bunch of gerrymandered districts. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who are disenfranchised by that system. You know, we, we have people who were upset about a slightly underinflated football in an AFC championship game. Right. But they'll let this, what I see as cheating, go on mm-hmm. in, our, in our federal elections. Right. 
So I think we need to work on restoring that. Um, maybe get some kind of optional national voter ID. Then you'd have a number that could be traced across states, and okay. you know that would that would reduce you know make it really hard to be a multiple voter anywhere. Right. And, uh, and it would increase faith in the system. And, and we have to have the companies that are involved in this stuff. They need to be, you know, checked by uh, Homeland Security and yep. verified. And, and we, ne- we need a system that's robust and that, that people trust and that doesn't make it exceptionally hard to vote. Right. Absolutely. So basically a re- restoring faith in democracy, election integrity, something along those lines. Yep. Um, what else? Um, we do need to fix the border. Okay. And uh, that is, and it's not just the, the Mexican border, actually. We've had fentanyl coming down from uh, Canada going yeah. into the, especially the reservations in Montana. Uh, that's a big problem all over. And it's actually, when it comes across from Mexico, it's mostly Americans bringing it across. Um, now, that bill, uh, the, uh, the aid bill that just passed the right. Senate, it contains all of the uh, poison pill provisions that the uh, House Republicans put in regarding the border. Well, not all of them, but it, it contains you know 90% of what they wanted. So if they vote down this bill, it, it, one thing it says is they're not really serious about solving the border or immigration. Right. Oh. And that bill, it passed the Senate, now it's going to the House. Yep. Uh, if you were in office, how would you vote on it? I would vote yes. I I believe that we need to help uh, Ukraine defend itself against uh, Putin's army. And in the process, we are going to degrade Putin's military capabilities and his political standing, uh, which I think is really important because he's a he's a he's a dictator. He's a well, maybe won't say dictator. Let's say he's an authoritarian bully, probably a murderer. You know, so with so many people who've fallen out of windows and been poisoned and, and everything it's around him. And, uh, you know, he wants, you know, he would take any opportunity he could uh, to hurt us. Yeah. And and by by investing in Ukraine now and helping them, we're basically leveraging another nation's army to degrade right. an enemy of the United States. And we're sending a signal because it's not just about Putin. Uh, Xi Jinping is watching. Kim yep. Jong Un is watching. They have their eyes on territory that they want, and they're looking to see if the United States will remain a good ally. Uh, those guys, the they would love for us to take a nice isolationist turn, right. because then they would feel emboldened. And um, so you mentioned isolationist, and I I feel that with the bill that was passed, there's basically three sub issues that that spawn from it. One is spending. Um, is it important that we prioritize um, getting a balanced budget over some of these bills, spending bills, whether it's an aid bill to Ukraine or money spent being spent somewhere else? It seems like we're constantly uh, exceeding our budget and going further into debt. Is it important for America to get that balance? Yes, we do need to get back to fiscal balance. Um, you know, back in the Clinton administration, we had a, a surplus. We uh, yeah. Finally, the, the deficit, well, the, there was no deficit. We were actually reducing the debt. But you got to understand that a lot of the debt is held by, say, the uh, Social Security Trust Fund. They, you know, they hold millions of debt. So yeah. when we play these games that, oh, we're not going to make our debt payments, yeah. uh, we are actually failing to pay 
you know, the Social Security Trust Fund. We're, we're right. failing older Americans when we do that. And also with these games about shutting down the government, what these guys never think of because they're so detached from regular working people, they don't know about that GS4, GS5 single mom who has, you know, has rent to pay, right. child care to pay, uh, all those things. Just the regular people who actually get the work of government done yeah. right down on the front line. Right. It's incredible to think that there, when the government shuts down, there are our armed servicemen and women working for free. And th- they'll get their back pay eventually. But, but they have to have the stress of figuring out how, like you just said, they're going to pay for rent during those times. And there's some options that have come up. But still, if yep. there was any other employee, you'd be like, <laughs> employer, I'm out. Yep. I'm and, out. It, and they end up better off than most because when you're, when you're in the military, you, you have housing. You yep, have, right. you still have yes. healthcare. There's still a hospital. You have yep. a DOD school there. And, and those are actually a good model of what happens when kids have a par- at least one working parent, shelter, plenty of food, well-paid teachers. DOD schools do really well. Yeah. So we see spending as one. Do you, there's some that have proposed the idea that when the budget is out of, is out of deficit, that Congress should go without pay until they get it get it resolved and then you would see a, a budget actually resolve uh, to, to being within and there being a surplus. Do you feel like something like that would be a, I know it would never happen essentially. Yeah. I think we could simply well, say it would never happen, but do you think something like that would be, be a good thing or, or a bad thing? Well, you know, it would only really hurt guys like me who don't have a bunch of personal wealth to fall back yep, on, that's you know? Um, so that's, you know, they can vote themselves a pay raise though. It can't take effect until the next, yeah. next cycle. Um, but point. yeah, 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 that would hurt my, that would hit yeah. me in the pocketbook that, pretty hard. That would hit you a little differently yeah. than Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, exactly. Um, great point. Um, another issue <clears throat> from this uh, aid bill we see is how involved should America be in other wars that are going on around the world that do not directly affect us, though there can be some indirect impacts? Right. Well, I think we, when you have, like Ukraine is a pretty clear good guy, bad guy situation. You know, you have a, an emerging democracy. Uh, it used to be run by Yanukovych, who was a Putin puppet, and he stole millions from the people of Ukraine. So, you know, that, that one is pretty clear cut. And, uh, you know, Biden was originally got a lot of criticism from Republicans for not giving enough, not getting it yep. there fast yep. enough. And, and I felt that way, too. I mean, yep. I was... You know, I'm a bit of a hawk. I I want to I want to go after him. Yeah. Uh, I saw those. Uh, you know, I was a Ford Air Controller. I saw those Russian tanks and armored vehicles lined up on that road. I'm like, oh man, give me a couple of F-18s and a radio, and I'm going to destroy the entire Russian army. Yeah. Um, but we need to we need to let our allies know that we have their back, and we need to let the world's bullies know that uh, you know if you do this, you're going to deal with the consequences. Right. So obviously not an isolationist approach at all. And I, I, I really don't think that's, that's fair. But are you where we should be in every conflict that's going on, where we should be looking, monitoring all of them and seeing how we can affect every conflict? Or, or is it somewhere in the middle? Where do you stand on yeah, that? Yeah, well, you know, it's not every conflict. Uh, there are some, well, let's take Iraq, for example, and, and, and Afghanistan, too. You go into a place where there's a lot of tribal stuff that you just don't understand right you know we did not understand the human terrain in either one of those countries right 
invading Afghanistan has never been a good idea. Yeah. Um, and in Iraq, there was when I got there, it was mostly in my area. It was uh, you know shoot, uh, Shias killing Sunnis. You know those were the bodies we'd pull out of the river with a bullet yeah. in their head. Yeah. And um, you know we we just did not understand that. And and it was kind of the uh, you broke it, you bought it kind of thing. We yeah. you know, and we we spent so much in so much money and so much in human currency there. We lost so many great Americans in Afghanistan, in the global war on terror. And and I think it could have been executed way differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, sometimes I, and I kind of look at uh, Israel's response as well. You know, Hamas, their butchers, what they did was terrible but you don't want your response to get you all mired in the muck and also yeah. create future terrorists because right. you are going in and just being too brutal. You know, yeah. when we were in Iraq, it was you had to clear between and beyond you before, before you pulled that trigger. Gotcha. You know, of course, the bad guys never have that problem. They nope. can they can shoot all they want. They hit an innocent. They don't care. Right. But, you know, that's it's not courage if, if you're just putting your rifle to your shoulder and blasting away and you don't care who you yeah. hit. You feel like Israel is a little too aggressive? I think they have been. I don't like some of the bombing and, yep. uh, you know, I, you know, you can get in big trouble for criticizing Israel at all. And you're in the, when you're that. in the U S house of representatives, but yeah, I, I think, uh, militarily they've, they've, you know, sometimes a bomb isn't the answer. Sometimes, uh, you right. need some bullets and, and I, the thing about it though, when you do it that way, it's way more dangerous. Yeah. Um, but right. So the third issue that spawns from this aid bill, uh, a sub-issue, is that of border security. Because obviously, you've already mentioned, there's some poison pills that the uh, Republicans have inserted into there. Um, I was talking with a, a candidate in one of the districts in North Dakota who's saying that some of the drugs that they're seeing is from the border. Of course, you've already addressed that. That also comes from the northern border. He was referring to the southern border. Um, how important... Is it, or first off, is there a border problem on our southern border that needs to be taken care of? Um, and if there, if you, if your viewpoint is there is, uh, how important is it for us to get that taken care of? Um, you know, there is a problem, and it is very important for us to get it taken care of. And not all of that is going to be, you know, more border patrol agents, which is in this bill, yeah. and those kind of physical things. Part of it's going to be the whole system of them wanting to try to get in the United States because the way it is right now, it's very hard for them to stay in their country and apply for asylum in the United States. If we could make that easier, they're not going to make these big caravans coming up to the border. And those caravans are bad for them and bad for us. Right. And, uh, you know, and then your border patrol and you got to go, you know, rescue, uh, a family that's caught in razor wire in the Rio Grande or something, yeah, you know, that's, not great. that's, that's dangerous. So, so then our immigration law should be a little <clears throat> more forgiving. It should be a little more easy to come in. Well, it should be not done at the border. It should be yeah. done in that country. And we need to work with those countries to make it easier there. And, uh, you know, it's like, um, uh, general Mattis said, you know, every, every dollar you don't spend on diplomacy, you got to spend, I need to spend on bullets. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a softer approach right. that we can take. And uh, I don't think North Dakotans want 
any kind of cruelty. Right. You know, I, um, there's a there's a there's a certain brand of conservatism now that's all about owning the libs. You know, they would go sit on the border on the Rio Grande and get video of the family drowning, yeah. and 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 put it out there, right. put it out there to own the libs. But you know, North Dakotans aren't mean spirited like that, no. and and you know, conservative Republican North Dakotans don't like that brand. They don't want to be associated with it. What ha- what happened to politics where it became this rivalry? It it moved beyond. It seems like back in the day, probably before my time, um, that was it was a little more forgiving. Like we're trying to work together. We have different viewpoints, but we're trying to get something done. Now, if like uh, the senators that voted yes for this uh, aid bill, there's people that are sending out their names saying these are the people that you need to have on a watch list and stuff like that. It's like at what point what created this problem? I think a lot of it is the media environment, you know, yeah. social media, uh, rise of the internet, and and yeah, social media has just been so toxic, and yeah. you know, most of the kids now don't bother with Facebook, and a lot no. of people in my generation, I was off of Facebook for about a year and a half before this. You kind of yeah. once you start a campaign, you got to be on gotta back be. on it a little bit, yeah. and yeah, and it feels like maybe it is a little less toxic right yeah. now on there people just got They're sick of it now. yeah twitter is is still a, a battlefield and but everybody is also in their silos yeah you know their information silos they are not seeing what the other side is seeing i i listen to uh, like the daily wire and i'll listen to fox news stories mm-hmm. and just to hear what the other side is hearing what i notice it isn't so much what they're hearing as what they're not hearing yeah, yeah. that's what it comes down to when I was a kid, I uh, would go to my grandma's house, and I was a big reader. I would read anything, and she would always have a box of, like, Reader's Digest there for oh, me. Yeah. And uh, so I would read those things from cover to cover. Like, I would read Who's the Publisher, all this yeah. stuff, all the way through. And I read a story in there one time about uh, this immigrant out in uh, California who'd bought land, and now this horrible liberal judge was ruling that he couldn't use that, you know, couldn't have his sheep or cattle or whatever he wanted to have on that land. And I'm like, Oh, it was in the, it's in the, that's outrageous section is where it was. And uh, then I heard the same story, same tone on Paul Harvey. And uh, a few, yeah. And a little while later though, I was doing a research paper and I came across, it was like us news or world report or something. I came across the real rest of the story that this guy knew before that, that this land had this uh, endangered species on it and he couldn't use it for that purpose. And that's, that's why he got it cheaper. And I was, I felt so betrayed. I have not picked up a reader's digest (laughs) since then. And like Paul Harvey, I hear his voice and I just kind of cringe. And um, um, sometimes you got to get a little angry at your media, you know, and and take a look at, at other media and find out what's going on. And I also, I also developed this theory then, or this idea that uh, if it sounds outrageous, it probably it's probably at least part of it is not true. Yeah, that's that's a good philosophy to live by. Our country was founded. I think it'd be fair to say this: our country was founded with an understanding of the importance of religion. Um, it included references to God in the Declaration of Independence. Do you think it is por- important to continue to have that biblical influence? on even decisions that are made in our country? Short answer, no. And in the Declaration of Independence, really, the, when it refers to, the only reference is to that we were all created equal, mm-hmm. you know? And I just really hate the idea of theocracy. We see what it's done in Iran, um, and we've seen some really mean-spirited 
Christianity here. Once you start mixing politics and religion, it just yep. it hurts them both. It damages both yeah. your, the church and it damages our politics. And the last thing you want is a guy who, you know, like I said, I don't want someone who feels entitled to that seat right. in the House of Representatives being there, feeling like he's somehow special. You get someone there who thinks it's God's will that he's in that seat, that, yeah. you know, he's basically has God behind him. That's really dangerous. Okay. Yeah. Um, there was a line that I read. Um, it was, in some ways, it feels like we have gone from freedom of religion, which is something fair that we, would, we should all agree on, to freedom from religion, where there's almost a concerted, concerted effort to get that push under the rug a little bit. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like, um, I mean, just we could talk issues and I, I'm really not wanting to go to, to apply it because there's the full story and that it we could, we could have a full podcast just on the clashes of those things. Right. I'm not trying yeah. to bring all those into this. Um, but it feels like in some point America is trending heavily away from religion. And is that a concern? Yeah, well, we have seen that, and we have actually seen a lot of people leaving churches. Um, I grew up Lutheran in Velva, and when I grew up there, the two most powerful men in town were Father Carl and Pastor Nissen. Those were the two guys. If uh, My dad was once mayor of the town, but he would not have had the power of those two guys. If you you see a kid do something wrong and and you, you you want him to stop, you'd say, I'm going to tell Father Carl, or I'm yeah. going to tell <laughs> Pastor Nissen. All right. And, and they would stop. Um, and, and we have fallen away from that. And then, but part of that also has been politics intruding into the church. Um, you know, there was a, one of those big churches down in, uh, down south, and one of those mega churches, and they yep. were chanting, let's go, Brandon. Yeah. All right. Does yeah. that belong in church? No, it does I not. don't think so. And, and I just really feel like most North Dakotans also their faith is private to them. They have this relationship with God. And, and, and frankly, I don't think about my faith that much in policy. Yeah. Um, and I would never want someone to be held to a rule that came from my faith only. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> There's more that I, would be fun to talk about that, but I'm going to force myself to switch gears, and we're going to come to a close. Cause it, it's already been about 45 minutes. It's been really? a good, good talk. So, oh. Yeah, flies by when you're having fun. Yeah. Um, two just recent incidences. incidents. Uh, one was, uh, I believe, on Sunday, uh, talking about mega churches. There was a shooting at a mega church in Texas. Um, and then today, um, there was the Kansas City uh, Super Bowl parade. Um, and there was a shooting that was nearby that, um, I, it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was mass casualty, but there, there were people injured. Um, is gun control a problem? Guns a problem? Gun culture in this country has, has become a problem. I think I, there's so many people out there who, you know, you probably know someone who concealed carries who you think that's the last guy. I think who should have a gun, you know, right. I, I, I've, I've had, I've run across that a couple of times. And, yeah. You know, I always fired both pistol and rifle. I always fired expert and I've always been very careful with yeah. firearms. And I just, uh, when, when you get these, these incidents where some, uh, where a toddler gets a hold of a gun and I'm like, right. how does that happen? And how do people not get punished when that happens? Um, 
But uh, yeah, there just seems to be this, especially among young men, this kind of culture around it, this kind of once I have the gun, now I'm, uh, you know, now I'm like the guy in that, that movie who can like shoot everybody. And, gotcha. and yeah. uh, it's just, I, it's, it is pretty dangerous. Now, I, I don't think we, you can't outlaw that kind of culture, but you right. can, you know, I, I think we need to work partly from the cultural aspect of it. It's a good response. So rather than going from a legislative aspect let's work on the culture let's work on better training let's work on changing how how, how they're used basically yeah. and and you got to have people who understand firearms who so say you want to get rid of bump stocks well how about if it, instead of getting rid of bump stocks we got rid of like 100 round drums or whatever that crazy thing is is because that bump stock's going to make you run out of ammo pretty fast so if you don't have a large magazine gotcha. you know so yeah you know, a few rounds in the magazine on a bump stock is just going to, going to be gone. It might actually save some people who the the shooter was going after. Right. Makes sense. Well, it's, it's been a great time. If, um, I got two questions in closing and it's basically about the election itself. First off, what makes you qualified for this office? For this? Well, I'm qualified for this office because I have a long history of leadership and I'm qualified for this office because I'm that guy who can't put in thousands of dollars for my race. I'm, I'm the, I'm the only guy who has come back from two weeks out on rigs in the Bakken just aching. I'm the only guy who's managed both a classroom and a combat patrol and a helicopter flight. Um, and, and everywhere I've gone, like, well, you see, I'm just, I walked in, I became district chairman. I'm, I'm coming out of the Marine Corps league here in mine and I'm involved in my community right. and I care. And I'm not, I'm not one of those extremist blowhards. I'm not looking to get on YouTube or yeah. on, on Twitter or on TikTok. I, I, I'm not looking for that kind of fame. I'm, I'm looking right. to serve and I really feel like, it ought to be a dialogue toward best solutions. And first you get to workable solutions. Maybe everybody has to compromise and, and later on you find that best solution, but you know, it should be a dialogue, not a shouting match. Absolutely. And to follow that up, if you were to get elected, um, we always talk about the president's first hundred days in office. Now I understand it's completely different for a president because he gets to executive order stuff. If he, if he so chooses, there, there's a lot more power that he has. But what are some of the immediate goals that would be on your plate day one that you're trying to work towards? Um, the first thing would be just, you know, whoever goes in, whoever gets elected is going to be a freshman congressman and, right. and, and just have to learn their way around first. Yep. But I would go into my caucus and I would be talking, you know, we need, we need a new farm bill and we need to talk to people from the cities about that. I need to talk to my entire caucus, even those who don't understand, might not understand rural issues that much. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to get out and make those connections and connections across the aisle and, uh, you know, get a farm bill that has pr- more access to crop insurance and, and maybe more uh, incentives built into the crop insurance for the things that maybe the USDA wants us to do or, or to achieve other goals. Instead of just mandating them, you, put, you throw in some incentives. So we want to work on, on those kind of things, those North Dakota-specific things, and make sure that, you know, powerful people in the caucus know about them. Absolutely. Well, if someone's interested in supporting you, what would be their best step? Um, first thind to do would be to go to hammerfornd.com and that's hammer like the tool 
F-O-R-N-D.com. Uh, that, that's where they can go and uh, donate all their money <laughs> up to $6,600. That's the maximum. There you go. Um, a lesson for everybody. You know, you get 3300 for the primary, 3300 for the general. That's Got the maximum. You. Something I didn't know until yeah. I, I started in this race. Right. So go there. You'll be able to learn more about Trigby, and you'll also be able to support the campaign. Well, really appreciate you coming on today. Oh, good to be here. Thanks Absolutely. for having me. Absolutely. This has been another episode of The Conversation here on The Dakotan. It is part of The Dakotan's Election Central coverage of the 2024 North Dakota election cycle. You can go to mydakotan.com, click on Election Central, find about a bunch of information on the candidates, see interviews just like the one you are watching right now. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, uh, like and subscribe on YouTube, become part of the Dakotan community. Thank you and have a great day.